0: Welcome to the Garage Podcast, presented to you by the Young Adults Group at Salem First Baptist Church. Thanks for tuning in to hear this week's message from Pastor Tyler Hankey. Today and next week we're asking the same question for each gender. How do I mature? So what is the goal for a man? Like what, gentlemen, what direction do you need to be heading? What needs to be the goals that you have either stated or unstated, either written or unwritten? Where are you going? What are you aiming at? And ladies, next week it'll be the same question. What are you aiming at? What is a healthy woman What is a mature woman? And so we're gonna be in the book of Titus. Actually, we're gonna be all over the Bible, but we're predominantly gonna be in Titus, chapter two. And before we jump in there, I wanna give you the context of this because I never want to get in the habit for myself or you of jumping into the Bible, picking out one verse and, and messing around with it. Understand the context, why was the letter written? So Titus was written by Paul to a young pastor named Titus, and Titus was starting a church. So this letter is all about Titus learning to be a better leader, learning to create and start and and help a church function. So there's amazing leadership lessons. There's amazing relational lessons. There's amazing doctrinal lessons. Because if you're going to start a church, there's a lot of landmines. So Paul's helping this guy not blow his leg off in the work of ministry. So he starts in chapter 1, and he he goes, hey, the first thing that I want you to do, Titus, when you start a church, develop a leadership structure. Okay? When we don't have leadership, I don't care if it's your marriage, your dating relationship, your job, school, church, anything. If we don't have leadership, stuff falls apart. So he goes, if you're going to start a church, first thing you do is you go find a bunch of qualified dudes. We're going to call them elders, and you're going to make a leadership structure. We don't have time to talk about all of that, but he does that. Then the second thing that he says is, Titus, you need to understand that there's people in your church that don't want the best for you. There are people in your church that want the best for themselves. They're selfish. They're arrogant. They're going to produce all kinds of false doctrine. They're going to confuse the women in the church. They're going to confuse the men in the church. They're going to demonize your children. And they're going to create all kinds of tension. You need to watch out for these individuals. They're preaching a false doctrine. Doctrine, by the way, is just a fancy church word for your belief system. Your doctrine is what you think about Jesus, what you think about the Bible, what you think about forgiveness, what you think about all the things that are written about in scripture. So all of you have a doctrine, either well-formed or not. Okay, so that's, that's the context. We're talking about proper doctrine. We're talking about a healthy belief system. And so he jumps into chapter two, and this is where he starts. So again, before we even get to the list, he says, you, Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So stop right there. So before we get into the gender commands, you need to understand that the reason they're given is because how you behave as a mature man or woman affects doctrine. How you, like where you're pointing, gentlemen, what you want in life will affect doctrine. So proper behavior is included in the list of things that God says, no, this is doctrinal level. It's that important. And again, before we get to the full list, he gives you a warning. He gives you a warning, so he says, men, do this, women, do this, so that, here's the warning, so that no one will malign the word of God. This is an insane warning, because I don't often think of myself and my maturity as affecting how other people see the word of God. But how you behave, how you mature, shows other people what you think about the Bible and what you think about proper doctrine. Let, let, me, see, let me show you how this works out. If you read the Bible right, and, and you're, you're seeing these commands and you're like, no, I don't really wanna do it. I don't wanna apply this to my life. I don't wanna ask these deeper questions. What does that mean you actually think about scripture? I, I don't mean to be mean to you, but it means you don't care. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to insult you, but I'm just saying if we read the word of God and we're like, eh, maybe I'll take that, but I won't take this, what that shows you and what it shows the world is that you don't take it seriously And so he goes, if you look at how men behave and you're like, eh, not really. Or if you look at how women behave, ladies, and you're like, no, I don't really wanna do that. That maligns or thinks less of or ignores or at worst mocks the word of God. So let's, whether you agree with me or not, and this, I wanna give you permission, we can still be friends if we disagree, okay? You with me on this? So I could give this whole lesson and when we get done, you're like, no, I don't agree with you. That doesn't mean you don't respect scripture. That just means you disagree with me and I could be wrong. So I challenge all of you, get in the word yourself. Read this yourself. So if you disagree with me, that's fine, but let's just, we're, we're just gonna keep going. So here's what he does. He gives you a list of what he wants men to do and he gives you a list of what he wants women to do. He also discusses leadership. Now, I don't even wanna go there. We're not even gonna touch elders or deacons or deaconesses all of that church leadership stuff that you're like, that's confusing. Don't worry about it, we're not gonna go there. All we're doing is we're saying men behave this way, women behave this way. Now some people have said that this is simply cultural, that he's not talking to all men, he's talking to the men of this church. I disagree for two reasons, okay? And you, you gotta understand this. Because if it's cultural, you can ignore it. If it's just to these men, you can ignore it because it's not to you. Why do I think it's universal? Two reasons. Number one, he says this is proper sound doctrine. Christian doctrine is universal, friends. This is how the church universal behaves. Men, everywhere. Second reason, I find this list everywhere throughout the New Testament. This is not the only place. Paul gives this list in 1 Corinthians. He gives this list in First and Second Timothy. He gives it in Titus. He gives it separated in Ephesians. He gives it all over the place. So no, this is not cultural. I'm sorry, Let, we're not gonna make that argument. This is universal, this is how men behave, this is how women behave. The thing that I find amazing is that this is even in here in the first place. Like, you know, speaking about just the jumping kind of forward to the apologetic series that we're gonna do, multiple other faiths do not, and I'm not trying to demean them, but they don't have code, codes of conduct for men and women. So God looks at you and he goes, gentlemen, you don't get to behave however you want. You don't get to decide what a man is. God already decided for me and you. Here's what a man is and here's how a man behaves. Ladies, you don't get to pick whatever you wanna do. He goes, no, this is what women do. This is who women are. What I love about this is that this protects you and it protects other people. Men, Men in this context are pointed towards others and, and it's demanded of our heart that we be others-centered. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that. But this is what God wants for you. That's incredible to me. God has a standard of behavior. So let's do our best to understand it and honor it. So gentlemen, I've got six things for you. So note takers, six different categories. And this is what he wants. This is part of your behavior, but the behavior is in and under the, the category of sound doctrine. Here we go. Here's the first one. Or let let me just read the whole thing to you, starting in verse two of chapter two. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in the faith, sound in love, and sound in endurance. Those are the six things. Now, this isn't the only thing that men should do. There's, There's other lists. There's more things that he says, but let's just focus on the six. Notice at the beginning, he says, I want you to teach older men so what, what's his point here? He goes, on this journey of maturity, he, he starts splitting the groups up. He goes, there's older men and there's younger men. He's gonna speak to younger men in a minute. He talks to you directly. But he says, older men, here's, here's the goal. So why are we talking about it if we're not in the category of older men? Because all of us need a goal. We all need a target, okay? If you don't have a target, wh- what are you aiming at? If, if, if you're firing into life and you don't know what you're going for, What are you going to hit? We don't know. Give yourself a goal. Give yourself a target. Here's what a good man is. So ladies, why should you listen? Because this should define your husband. This should define the men in your life. And even if we're not talking romantically, not talking dating or marriage, this should define your brothers. Okay? So as you do your best to love your brothers in this room, to love your brothers in the church, this should define them. So when it says to call, call one another to account, call one another to a higher standard, this is the standard. We all need to be in agreement. This is what I want a good man to do. So here we go, first one. A man needs to be temperate. Okay, you don't need a college degree to understand what that word is. This is a man with a temper under control. This man controls his emotions. Now here's what I love. Paul doesn't demonize a temper. Okay, so when you think of an uncontrolled man, you think of a man with a temper, and we always use temper in a negative sense. Your temper is amoral. Your emotions, your your temper can be targeted for good or for evil. He says, control it. He doesn't say, get rid of it. He says, no, a good man, a mature man is temperate. Okay, when you start thinking about evil, you start to realize, no, there is a place for my anger. There is a place, I need to direct it. Your anger is not evil. Jesus himself says, be angry, but don't sin. So there's a line, friends, and I love this because it gives you permission to feel. It gives you permission to get angry. There are things in this life that should anger you. There is injustice in this life that should unnerve you and make you upset. Jesus had plenty of things. If you did dwell with us the last, what, last weekend, whenever we did it, when we were reading through the New Testament, I I don't know why, but it just hit my mind in a new way how often Jesus got upset with his disciples. He got upset with them all the time and he straight up called them dumb. He's like, how long are you gonna be this stupid? And, And I don't think that he was like insulting in the way that we might. He's just going, friends, there are things that are good. There are things that are evil and I need you to understand what I'm telling you. When Jesus goes into the temple, why does he get angry? Why does he flip over tables? He goes, because you're mocking prayer. You are mocking my father's house, inappropriate. And he whips them, physically, literally, whips them out of the temple. What does that teach you, gentlemen? You need, if you're gonna be a temperate man, here's what you need to do. You need to begin to define for yourself what is good and what is evil. There's your homework. This is what I need you to do when you go home and for the rest of your life. You jump into scripture and you help define for yourself what is good, what is evil, where do I direct my emotions? Because see, when we forget that, we start getting antsy and agitated and we will direct our temper at our wives and we'll direct our temper at our kids and we'll direct our temper at our boss and none of them deserve it. You direct your temper at what is evil, Your, your temper at what is evil. Let me give you an example. Even the non-Christian world understands this. They understand that that evil, not that we want to run out and hurt people, so I just need to preface that. I'm not saying that. But there was a gentleman a couple months ago that came home from an errand, and he discovered that a family member, was, um, like a, a distant family member, was abusing his son sexually. So he beats the man within an inch of his life. The cops get there, And they don't know what to do because they're like, okay, here's this man in a bloody heap on the floor who's a pedophile who was sexually abusing this little boy, but this man just physically assaulted him. Both not okay. So they're like, we don't know what to do. So they called the judge and the judge goes, leave him. Leave the dad. Take the other man into custody, arrest him, put him in jail. We're going to deal with him. So everyone leaves. The dad stays home. No charges were filed. And when asked why, the judge goes, because he was doing what any dad would do he was protecting his son from evil. No, I'm not gonna arrest him. Now, am I telling you to go physically hurt individuals? No, but if you're a dad and you see your little boy getting sexually abused, if one of you doesn't assault that dude, what? Why? Now, am I saying there's not room for grace? Yes, am I saying you're a horrible father if you don't beat the dude up? No, I'm not saying that. But that should make you angry evil should make you angry children being abused should make you angry villages getting slaughtered that should make you angry theft and lies that should make you angry there is a list in scripture of what god hates he hates a lying tongue he hates it he hates the shedding of innocent blood hates it so what is a temperate man a temperate man is one who understands what is good and understands what is evil and directs his emotions accordingly. Your emotions are not demonized. You don't need to be a shell of a person that doesn't feel. You are encouraged to feel, but order it. Little boys fly off the handle. Men, keep it under control. That is a temperate man, okay? So how, part of the way that you do this is, like I said at the beginning, you need to begin to demand of yourself that you are others-centered. Now you might like to think that you are, but let me help you define what this is. As you go through life, individuals are going to pull at you. Gentlemen, your wife is going to pull at you. She's gonna demand things of you. Your children will pull at you. And if you're me-centered, you're gonna see your wife and your children and your boss and your employees as a threat. You will see your friends as a threat because they're pulling at your time and your resources. But if you as a man are others centered, then all of those examples are all opportunities to bless people. That is all opportunities to direct your emotions, direct your feelings, direct your energies. You see what I'm saying? A temperate man is others centered, understands himself and his emotions and directs them accordingly. That is a temperate man. So ladies, when you're looking at men, what are you watching for? You are watching for how he handles being disappointed. You are watching for how he handles loss. You're watching for how he handles stress. A temperate man keeps it under control. But here's the other thing. Just in, in, in this community, in this, I, I want it to be a community of grace, right? Because what is he describing? He's describing the ideal. So gentlemen, you're going to mess up. You're gonna have moments where you are not a temperate man. You're gonna have moments where you lose control of your emotions. So I would say to any of the women, go easy on the men, not just in this room, but everywhere. This is the ideal. So yes, a a guy's not gonna do this perfectly. So if you see a dude lose it one time, he's not an evil dude. He's not an immature man, he's growing. What are we calling each other to? What are we okay with? What do we wanna see in each other? A lot of patience, a lot of grace, but temperate. Here's the second one. What else should a man be? Worthy of respect. I love this one because there's a command to women in marriage, not just women in general, but women in marriage, to respect their husbands. But God doesn't just leave it there because that could be, honestly, quite difficult if the man is completely rebelling and isn't worthy of respect. But God looks at not just husbands, but all men All of them, all of us. And he says, be worthy of it. You all know what respect is. You all know what the feeling is. But what is it? What is respect? What is being worthy of it? It is deserving the high opinion that others will give you, whether you deserve it or not. Being worthy of respect is earning the high opinion that others are going to give you. So I want you to start examining Instead of going like, okay, how, how, do I get, like, how, how do I get respect? Hold off on that for a second. What do you respect? Think about men in your life that are incredible. And, and ladies, you do this too. What do you respect in a man where you're like, okay, you are mature, you have made it, and I honor that. What do we, what do we respect in people? Well, a number of things. Let's just back up just one, you know, one part of the verse. What do we respect? A temperate man. We respect a man that's restrained, that doesn't fly off the handle and hurt people, that keeps his emotions in check. We respect a man that honors his wife. We respect a man that doesn't abuse his kids. We respect a man who's under control. What's another thing that we respect? We respect a man that protects. What what do we do every single Memorial Day? We take all the men and women that have served in the armed forces and we say, because you have let go of your love of your life and you go to dangerous places to make sure others are safe, we honor you. We honor a man that protects other people. Okay, what else do we respect? We respect intelligence. We do. We respect a high IQ. When individuals move to, to high levels, whether it's you know, a judge in the Supreme Court or, or an owner of a company, they have shown through their hard work and through their intellect, they've made it to a level that we're like, wow, that took you years. I respect that. So gentlemen, this is an easy one. Not so much easy to do, but easy to understand. Pick something, these amazing character traits of men that you already respect and just go for it. This is why when, when people come and they're like, hey, um, you know, I, I just got my journeyman electrician's license and I'm like, I respect that, that's incredible. Or when, when Jonathan, I don't even know where you are. Jonathan, where are you? Over there, yeah. When Jonathan was like, I made it into the plumber apprenticeship program, I was like, I respect that. When you guys graduate from college, I'm like, I respect that. When you have shown that you're willing to put in the hard work and go do something incredible, that is respect. You're earning it. When there's hard work shown, when you show up early to an event and help set up, and then you do the event, and then everyone leaves, and you stay later, and you clean up, I respect that. Be a man worthy of respect. Find the things that are good in this life. That's another category, not category, but when you're thinking about what you respect. Some men, because you've grown up in unhealthy environments, you respect the wrong things. You respect a man that gets to the top no matter what, even when he hurts people, and you respect it, but you shouldn't. So you need to take what scripture says and just define what is good. Define what is good and become a man worthy of respect. What's another thing? Self-control, so this is number three. What should a mature man be? He should be one who is self-controlled. Now, I love this one because this is overlapped with women. So, ladies, on your list, it says the same thing. So this, isn't, this one's not gender-specific. This is both of you. Men, here's what you do. Women, here's what you do. Both of you, though, need to calm down and control yourself. You do. What is the principle here? All of you, all of you, myself included, need to learn to tell ourselves No. You need, if you're gonna mature, if you're gonna be worth anything as an adult, you need to learn to tell yourself no. Because here's the deal. You have a flesh in you. You have a spirit in you that wants nothing but to please yourself. Paul even said it. He's like, I do what I know I shouldn't and I don't do what I know that I should. Okay, Paul, like the super Christian, struggled with the same thing. So me and you are bound to struggle with the same thing. You need to begin to understand that just because you have a thought doesn't mean it's good. Just because you feel something doesn't mean it's good. I'm not trying to insult you. I'm in the same boat. You need to learn as a maturing man to analyze what you think, what you feel, process it through scripture and other wise people, and then move. Because some of you, and and again, I'm not trying to demean you, but I want you to do some self-analysis. How many of you would describe yourself as erratic? You're just like, I I just kind of like, I think something and then I just go do it. Uh uh-uh. uh. Young men do that. Mature men don't. Mature men slow it up. Slow it up. Apply the decisions that you want to make to other people and say, here's what I'd like to do. Can I get your wisdom on it? That's what a mature man does. How in the world do you begin to become that kind of man? There's a number of ways. Number one, pray. And you're like, okay, a Christian would say that. No, 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 pray. What is prayer? It is slowing down, stopping what you're doing and asking the Lord, God, what do you think? What do you want for me? Because you built me and you know me better than I know myself. Are you praying? Are you submitting yourself to wise counsel? That's the second thing. Because you wanna know what we do and we all do this. When we are about to make a decision and we're, we're not quite certain about it, do we want to get other people's opinion? No. When we make a decision and we know that it's not a great one, we don't tell anyone. We just do it. Better to ask for forgiveness than permission. No, that's an immature baby. Immature little boys do that. Asking for forgiveness instead of permission. No, honor others. Honor authority in your life. Honor wisdom in others and submit what you want to do to other people that they might bless you with a yes. Because when you get it, then you, get, you, you move forward with the blessing of other people and of God. Self-control. You're going to have Anger, control it. You're going to have lust, control it. You're going to have a desire for your own self-pleasure, control it. You have an incredible mind, control it. You have a mouth that will utter all kinds of words, learn to control it. Learn to control it so that you and others around you don't get hurt. Paul says of your mind that it is not good by default, Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says your mind needs renewing. Okay, you need to believe that. Your mind is not good by default, your mind is bad by default. He says, no, renew this thing, your heart. The prophet Jeremiah says, your heart in you, basically he's saying the soul of who you are, he goes, it's not good and it can't be trusted. It's evil and wants its own good. That's in you, that's in me. And so when Jesus is teaching the New Testament church, here's what he says. When Jesus is teaching everyone, he says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that can be good or bad. So as you process your life, the music you're listening to, the movies that you watch, the friends that you hang out with, the books that you're reading, all the stuff that you're taking in, he goes, you need to categorize that. He goes, it's either good or it's bad. And so out of the good that you begin storing up in you, that's gonna come out. Out of the bad that you're storing up in you, that's gonna come out. What does that mean? You have a choice. Gentlemen, there's a lot of responsibility resting in your hands on what you put into yourself. And ladies, you too. The responsibility is on you. It's not, it's not on me. It's, it's my job to help you understand that, but I can't control what you do when you go home, what you listen to in the car, what you process, who you allow in your life. So this means some hard stuff. This means not doing a number of things. This means looking at certain individuals and not banishing them from your life, but just going, you've had too much influence in my life, and it's not good. Every time I'm with you, we get in trouble. Every time I'm with you, my morals are tested. Every time I'm with you, something bad happens and you pull me away from God, not closer. That's on you. Friends, I love you. That's on you. Again, how do you begin to become different? How do you be a different man? God already gave you the tools, okay? What does 1 Peter Peter say? You and I have already been given everything we need for life and godliness. We already have it. Spiritual disciplines. Okay, what is fasting? Fasting is the physical process by which you say to your body, no, not right now. But I'm hungry, not right now. I have a hunger pain, not right now. Because in this space, in this time, I am devoting all of my energies to prayer and reading the word, that's what fasting is. It's practicing telling yourself no. And as we train this, as we train this body, the spirit gets stronger. You gain an ability to say no to bad influences. You gain the ability to say no to the sin that's in you and wants to just just run away with immorality. Say no, that's on you. And that's part of growing up, that's part of maturing. It's not anybody else telling you what to do, it's you. Be a self-controlled individual. Next one, he says, be sound in faith. Sound in faith. This is your belief system. What is faith? It's it's your trust level. It's what you think about God. It's how you approach life with God. He says, I want you to be sound in it, though, not just have it. So this isn't you're saved, not saved. That's not what this is. This is, I, I love Jesus. I trust Jesus. I trust the Bible. But unapologetically, Peter says, no, you get to enhance that. Okay, It's like this. All of you have a physical body, right? All of you do. You're here right now. But some of you have a weak body, and some of you have a strong body. Okay, not trying to make anyone feel bad, I'm just saying. All of you have a faith. Some of you have a weak faith, others of you have a strong one. And he says, you get to enhance it. Again, the responsibility is with you, and that's a scary thing, but it's a beautiful thing. If you want a stronger faith, go get it. Your faith gets stronger in, in one of two ways, and sometimes both, o- honestly, all the time, both. Let me describe this to you. You read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses five through seven, he says, add to your faith. Now stop right there before we read the list. He says, add to it. That word add gives the connotation of enhance or upgrade. Okay, Upgrade it, add to it things that make it better. Add to yourself things that make you better, make you stronger, make you smarter. What does he say? Add to your faith goodness, like good deeds. When you go care about other individuals, what, does that, what is that doing? You might think, well, I was nice for the day. Like, that's all it was. No, it was more than that. It was so much more than that. Why are we nice to other people? Honestly, when you think about it, it makes zero sense to be nice to other people. Only if God created human beings and they have value do I look at other people and go, you matter to me. You matter to me. Not, not, not even because I like you, and that happens with friendships, but you look at other people and you go, God made you. You have the spirit of God in you. You reflect his image. I will care about you because he made you. So when you're doing good deeds, what are you doing? You're enhancing the faith. You are reaffirming God made me, God made you, and I'm going to treat you that way because when we mistreat people, we are mistreating sons and daughters of God, and that's a big deal. That is a big deal. So the simple act of goodness enhances your faith. What else does he say? Add to it knowledge. Bookworms, I love you. I resonate with you on this one. Read the book. Get in the Bible. Find a commentary. Nerd out. Enhance yourself. Like, come up to me and be like, Tyler, the weird Bible fact that I learned this week is, and me and you will nerd out together. It will be great. You'll be like, I read this thing on Revelation. I'll be like, oh my gosh, sit down. Sit out. We're talking about it. Add to your faith knowledge and not just Sunday morning. I love that you're here, but go home and do research on something. Coming up, I believe it's next month, we have the Jewish Festival of Purim and it centers around Esther and her story and how she saved the Jews by her actions with the king. Research that. Have fun with it. Add to your faith knowledge. What else does he say? Add to it self-control. There, you see it again. Your faith grows when you learn how to tell yourself No grow in that i I, I challenge you fast this week pick a day just one pick a day and say i'm fasting today how come i want to grow by the way don't tell anyone because that kind of breaks some of the rules of fasting so you can tell me we can talk we'll pray about it it's different okay next perseverance add to your faith perseverance this one is so hard because again we're all relatively young but when individuals Individuals come and they say, I'm waiting and I'm really frustrated. I'm like, sweet, how long have you been waiting? They're like, a month. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're gonna be hurting. Add to your faith perseverance. So if you're in a waiting season, congratulations, you get to grow. You're like, awesome, that sucks. I know it does. I know it does. But the church doesn't need any more Christians that burn out after a couple months or a small season of, of trial. We need men and women of grit that are willing to hang in for the long haul. There are people in Ukraine right now that are still holding church services while their nation is being invaded. That's the kind of Christians that we need. Not individuals that run and and are scared and are hiding and and are just completely giving up on church and relationship. No, we need grit. Add to your faith grit and perseverance. That comes with waiting. So don't, I, I love you and I'm not saying that you need to enjoy waiting. But when you're in a waiting season, don't, don't give in to complaining. just go, this sucks, but I'm in it. God, you are still good. I know you see me. I know you love me. And this is for me right now, a gift of waiting. I don't like it. Help me endure it. Like, Lord, would you change my circumstances? No. No, if you read the Pauls of prayer, do you, do you realize that he almost never, in all of his prayers in the New Testament, does he ever pray for his circumstances to change? He almost never does. He goes, God, make me the kind of man that can last through this. Ladies, you pray the same thing. Lord, would you change my season? No, don't pray that. Lord, would you make me the kind of woman that lasts through this, that I would become a more passionate follower of Jesus, that others would look at me and go, she's strong. Pray that. Be sound in the faith. Here, here's another thing that, that enhances your faith. This is, so the, the first one is your choice. You get to add to your faith perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, all of that. But 1 Peter 1 says this. Trials have come so that your faith is proved genuine, for it is worth more than gold. God loves your faith even more than you do. God loves your life even more than you do. And he looks at you and he goes, okay, I'm going to give you something. You're not going to like it at all. But it is for your good. So your faith grows in one of two ways and often both throughout your life. Your choice, you get to add to it, but also God says, here's a trial. Here's a trial. It's, it's waiting, it's loss, it's pain, it's regret, it's, it's sin. Not, not that he gives you sin, but as you struggle with certain things, God, like when I look at men that are struggling with porn, I say something that can often sound really insulting when they first hear it. They're like, man, I'm really struggling with porn. And I'm like, congratulations. Seriously, this is going to be a great season for you because this will either make you or it will break you. But maybe you're going through this right now to learn for the first time in your life dependence on God in a real way. You've said that you are a Christian, and I love that, and you've done good things, but now you're hitting the point where you realize you can't do anything without Him. You can't. And porn is teaching you that. Those are trials. Next one, he says, I want you to be sound in love. And you're like, ha, okay, churchy, sure. let's move on to the next one. But no, slow down on this one. This is your self-sacrificing pursuit of other people. Okay, again, if you're gonna be a good man, are you other-centered? Absolutely. Self-sacrificing movement towards other people. I am going to be a man that loves really, really, really well. Because when you think of men, and and ladies, let me just talk to you. When, When you think of men, in general, is the overwhelming sense that you get that they are self-sacrificing lovers of other people? Probably not. We're not exactly known for that. It's why in marriage, we're commanded to love our wives. Our wives are not commanded to love us. Ladies, that happens, I think, a lot more naturally for you. You are commanded to respect your husband. Men aren't commanded to respect their wives. Not that we shouldn't, but there's a level of selfishness in here that God goes, no, I'm I'm gonna battle that in you. I will battle that in you, which is why right here it says love, love them. And so when Paul describes this, because you're like, okay, love, I get it, but it's such a weird abstract word. I get it. So Paul breaks it down. When he's speaking to the, the church in Corinth, he defines what love is and what it looks like. This is the most overused wedding passage on earth. Okay, and for the record, I haven't used it once. Point me, okay? Not that it's bad, but everyone uses it. It's like, get creative ridiculous what is love he says it's patient now again i know that you've heard this you could recite it in your head you're like okay love is patient love is kind love is like stop 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 don't do that don't gloss over this one at a time love is patient are you patient or when others come into your life do you get really really frustrated that they just don't get it has that ever happened with you Are you wondering why in the world it's taking someone so long to grow or change? And God's looking at you like, seriously? Seriously? And I do this with people all the time when they're mad with a friend. I'm like, how old are you? How old are you right now, right? Like the the average in this room, 21, 22, whatever it is. Think about how long it's taken you to learn certain lessons. Think about it. Like whatever you're struggling with right now, how old are you? And and let's just use an easy, let's just say 20. It's taken you two decades to learn certain lessons, and God is patient with you. Are you patient with other people to the extent that God is patient with you? Because if you're getting really angry and upset at individuals, God's like, that's not love. Okay, that's immaturity in you right now. You're seeing someone, and I I know that you know where they need to grow, and that's cool, good for you. Let them, give them space to grow. Stop beating them up, because they're not learning something at the pace that you did. Love is patient it's kind this one's a gut check go to your most honest blunt friend and we all got one right like the individual that we're just like "Mm," like can you just not talk as often but in this case in this case they're going to be really beneficial to you go to that person and say am I kind am I kind and in their honesty they might be like I love you but no you're not you're not a kind person I love you, like we're still friends, but you're not nice. Congratulations, you have something to work on. You you get to look at that list and not go any further. You're just like, I'm not a kind person. So stop, don't move on down the list. You're not kind. And your blunt friend isn't either, so you can help each other. Okay? They're mean. Like, no, I'm just truthful. I'm like, no, you're a jerk. (laughs) Love isn't envious. Okay, and this is so hard in your season of life because some of you are single and you're looking at your friends that are getting married and having kids and you're like, come on! When is this gonna happen for me? And God's like, stop. Stop. It's not what I have for you right now. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that the season that he has for you right now is good? And that you are learning exactly what you need to. As Sue Myers said last week, God gives you only what you need to be dependent on him. So do you need that right now? Or are you wasting all of your energy looking at your friend going, I want that. I want what she has. I want what he has. Stop. That will kill you. That will destroy your worship. That will destroy your joy. It will destroy your heart for other people and make you a self-centered monster. Don't do that. And friends, I've been there. I have been there. Move away from that, that will kill you. That's not love. It's not boastful, it's not proud. It honors others, it lifts them up. Love is not selfish, it's love is temperate. Okay, there it is again. This universal idea that we have control over the emotions that God has given us. Emotional beings under control. Love has a terrible memory. It's not a record keeper. Oh, you insulted me, I forgot. Yes, that's what love is. Love rejoices in the truth and love protects. So again, go back to what I was saying. Men are sound in love. Men are sound in this. Gentlemen, we have eyes that are always looking up going, oh, someone's getting hurt, Uh uh-uh, not on my watch. Someone is being abused, not on my watch. I see injustice, not on my watch. That's a man. That is a man. And ladies, I'll get to you. I'm not saying that women don't do this, so don't read into that. Let me just target men right now. Men, you see other people. You are others-centered. It's why God made us. That is why God made us. We are to be sound in this, like really, really good at it. Where are you protecting other people? And are others in your life safe? By the words that you use, the actions that you take, the things that you do, are they safe? Because love protects. Love protects. Love always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. And this leads us to the final one. Men are sound in enduring. Men are sound in endurance. Men don't quit. Again, ladies, don't read into this. I'm not saying that you don't. We're gonna talk about your endurance and your strength and all of that, and it's beautiful. But men, hear me. Men don't stop. Okay, when I, and I'm not trying to sound arrogant. Let me just like paint you a picture of a normal day. I wake up in the morning and I go to the gym immediately. First thing that I do, I come, and that's the only me time. And then I come home and I change, I get ready for work and I'm at work all day, loving other people, planning messages, doing counseling, all of that. I come home and I'm tired. I am tired. But honestly, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Not to my five, seven, and three year old. Okay. I mean, they love me. And it's not and like when they're older, I, I, I know that they'll be more empathetic, but they don't care what happened in the day. Dad's home. So, work hat goes off, dad hat goes on, and I'm playing with my kids for hours. Hours. I have fallen asleep on the floor, right? Like I'm just playing with them, and it's like, Dad, look at this. And I'm like, just gone. <laughs> but I'm playing with them and then we make dinner together and then we clean up dinner and then I put them to bed and then that hat goes off and my husband hat goes on, okay? And then I'm addressing my wife and I'm talking with her and I'm processing her day because she wants normal human interaction. She's been with little midgets that don't have normal conversations. The only thing she's hearing is I pooped and I wiped a booger on the wall and I don't know where my pencil is as they're holding it. That's what she's dealing with all day and so she's like, oh my gosh, thank God another adult. Here we go. Like, I walk in the door, and she's like, tag, out, and she just leaves. I'm just kidding. She doesn't. She doesn't leave. She's amazing. But after, our, after Audrey and I have a conversation, after we talk, after we just m- make sure that we're doing good, that hat goes off, and my eyes close, and I go to sleep, and then I wake up, and I do it all again. There is a spirit of laziness that does its best to get into the hearts of men. There's a spirit of laziness and apathy and selfishness that tries to get into your heart and it comes in things like the man cave. Like, I just want my space where I can just go be me by myself. Why? Why? I'm not against TVs. I'm not against cool entertainment spaces. I'm not against you resting. I'm not against that. But if your entire life is about building more me time, that will kill you. That is not a man. A man is one who gives. When you read what a husband is, what does he compare you to? Gentlemen, he says, you are like Jesus. You are like our savior. And he came and he saw the need and he met the need and he died and he rose again. He gave himself for the church. You are to do that for your wife. So the mark of a great man, the mark of a great husband is one who empties himself and is filled by the Lord and then empties himself again. That's what you do. None of this more me time garbage. Okay, now if you need like, obviously a moment, like be a healthy individual. If you need to rest, rest, I get it. But dudes will come into my office, not usually not younger men, because you start discovering how selfish you are when you're married. It's an amazing gift that your wife gives you. But they're like, dude, I'm just, I don't know, man. I'm just so tired. I just want more time for myself, you know? And I'm like, no. I mean, yes, I get what you're saying, but no. That's not what a husband does. That's why it's such a high calling. It is, it's not for weak men. Marriage is not for weak men. Marriage is for lions. Marriage is for men that are ready to give of themselves, to just dump out all of who they are, that a woman and their children and their environment might flourish. That's your job. And then you die and we go celebrate with God. Am I saying you never have any fun? No, that's silly you will have a truckload of fun. You will be blessed in ways that you can't possibly imagine. But if I build my life around always trying to find more rest and always trying to find more me time and always trying to retreat to my man cave, is that building endurance? That's like saying like, man, I wanna be a man. Like saying you wanna be a man is like saying I wanna be a long distance runner. It's like, okay, that's great, that's a good thing. Start training, start running. Like, if I said to you right now, like, hey, tomorrow, we're all going to go run a marathon. Like, all the dudes in this room, we're all running a marathon. Like, none of you would come back to the church. You're like, nope, I'm not about that life. But if we had all been training for five years before we even began to touch the race, if we were all diligent to run every day, and I said, tomorrow, we're running a marathon, you'd say, okay, I'm ready. So what do you do right now? What do you do right now? You engage in what's difficult. You engage in spiritual disciplines. You engage in relationship. You look at those individuals that kind of drag at your, you know, your normal, you're like, okay, I, I wouldn't normally be friends with him. Okay, good, that's someone you should go talk to. Not that you need to be best buddies, not that you need to do everything together, but community life is about being together and, and, and dealing with individuals that are different than us. That's where unity comes, that's where growth comes. I I know I sound like a broken record, but you wanna know how you learn to endure? You serve, you serve, you go do thankless jobs. Like Nate the other day was hanging out with me at my folks place and we were serving junior hires. That man jumped in stall after stall after stall as young kids were learning to operate a pressure washer and I love them, but they sucked. Like it was bad. And Nate's just guiding the gun and he's sitting with him and he's getting, you know, muck and pee and poop all over his body. And I was like, oh, brother, that sucks. And then I left. But (laughs) I'm just kidding. I was there in and out. Like Nate can testify. I was there with you, I was in. But what I loved is that even when everyone started cleaning up, Nate was still there. He didn't leave. He's like, the job's not done. I was like, that's a man. That's a man. Where are you serving? Where are you giving of yourself? Where are you letting go of more me time? Brothers, I love you. You don't need any more of it. You don't, you don't need any more me time. That's a boring life. I want you to get to the end of life, and I want... Like, I want you to, you know, you're dead in the, in the coffin and you're in heaven and you're looking down. I wanna see a line of hundreds of people going, he helped me, he helped me, he helped me, he blessed me, he helped me heal. He, he, he taught me how to, you know, hold on to my finances. He taught me how to love my wife. He taught me how to love my kids. I want a line of individuals that you blessed that bless everyone with the stories of you. I don't want your coffin to just be sitting there and everyone's like, well, he played video games really well. He didn't really love people. He was pretty selfish and garbage with his money. I mean, he worked hard, but he only ever blessed himself. Where are we enduring for other people? And and, and get this, this is hard. Like endurance athletes, hard. You don't just become one. So ladies, this will take the men in this room and the men outside of this room, this will take us a while. You don't just become a long distance runner, you gotta start running. And we're gonna trip and we're gonna fall and we're gonna complain sometimes and we're not gonna look like the most stellar of human beings, but we're gonna get there. Pray for us, pray for your brothers that they might be this kind of man. Here's the opposites of all of these six and then we'll be done. The opposite of temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in the faith, sound in love and sound in endurance is this, explosive, pathetic, Out of control, selfish, weak in the faith, hateful, and unsustainable. Gentlemen, I love you, and I I know all of you well enough to know I know you don't want any of that. So you look at this list and you say in your heart, This will define me. Okay, this will define you. This is what a good man is. Let's all run after it. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word, which is in many places beautiful, and in others like this, it's beautiful, but it's so hard. It is hard work to control my anger. It's hard work to not be selfish. It's hard work sometimes, instead of just sitting down and being lazy, to get up and be worthy of respect that others give me. That's hard. It is hard to love. There are some moments where in my sin, I wonder if I'm even saved. So to be sound in the faith, Just seems insane. Would you help us? We can't do this without you. We can't. So thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for giving us new desires. Thank you for helping us look at this list and love it instead of running from it. I pray for all of these men an incredible blessing. I pray for a week free of distraction that they can look at this list and really define for themselves where they wanna see this in their life. I pray for very specific goals. I pray for measurable goals. I pray for men that would become more and more like this, that our church and our city and our families would be blessed. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Ladies, next week, it is your turn. We're gonna jump into the same area so you can read ahead if you want to and prep for next week. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in to The Garage Podcast. We hope the message has made you think deeper about faith and will strike up new conversations as you go about your week. If you want to hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Have a great week.